We're going to uh, jump back into Ezekiel. We'll look at uh, a couple different places in the book of Ezekiel. Just a quick uh, little outline. Most of you know that if you've read the Old Testament much, that uh, Israel and uh, the nation of Israel split into two parts. And there was David, a great king, Solomon, started out good, didn't end so good. And uh, then his son uh, was uh, really stupid for having a dad as smart as he was. And uh, the, the nation of Israel split into two parts, the northern and southern tribe, uh, Judah and um, tribe of Levi and Benjamin were one and then all the others in the other. And so the southern tribe of Israel went bad fast in the sense of worshiping other gods uh, because they didn't want to have people going back to Jerusalem. They came up with their own sort of religious system, uh, Samaria. That's why they were called Samaritans later. And so they were conquered by the Assyrians. And then later the northern tribe of Judah, uh, it had a few revivals under Josiah and Hezekiah that postponed the inevitable, and they were conquered by the Babylonian Empire, which historically, when you study empires, world empires, they're considered to be the ultimate, uh, the biggest, baddest, best, richest, most powerful of the world empires, Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar. And so... They, uh, uh, there was a king, Jehoiakim, and uh, he had a son, Jehoiachin. Been easier if he named him Henry, but uh, uh, Jehoiakim revolted against the Babylonians. They were basically conquered everybody, and they were paying tax, as it were. To, and so they re revolt and say, well, we're not paying that tax anymore. Get out of here. Stick it in your ear. And so they came. And about the time Babel, uh, the, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire came to conquer Israel, Jehoiakim died. Jehoiachin said, I give up. And so he submitted to the Babylonians. And they took captive about 10,000 back to, the, uh, to Babylon. Included in that number were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Ezekiel. Ezekiel was about the same age as Daniel. And so they were taken back uh, to Babylon, about 10,000 of the best. They took the young ones, the smart ones, the, uh, anybody that they thought they could train and uh, use uh, in their government. And so there were about 10,000 that went back. And uh, Jeremiah, who was about 10 years their senior, stayed behind. You read the book of Jeremiah. You know, he was involved in all the uh, things that went on there. And so the first 24 chapters of Ezekiel, he's writing to Israel, to Judah, the, uh, and saying, repent, you're going to get beat up, God's going to discipline you if you don't change your ways. And so in chapter 24, at the end of chapter 24, uh, the king that Nebuchadnezzar left behind to be in control re re revolted. So they went back, and then Jerusalem is destroyed. And the temple is totally annihilated. Everything is just dirt and rocks and everything is done, dead, kaput. And so when you're reading Ezekiel, see the first 24 chapters are saying he's writing to the nation of Israel. Uh, Stop doing this. God's going to discipline you. He's going to judge you. And then poop, he does. And then from 24 to into 32, the message is to the nations of the world. 
And then when you get to the end of chapter 32, Israel is con or excuse me, Egypt is destroyed, conquered by the Babylonians, and basically all the prophecies that were made to these other nations happen. And so from there on, the end to the end, chapter 48, it's the future. Israel will restore, or excuse me, God will restore the nation of Israel. Uh, the kingdom will come in. And so you have the, uh, the vision of the dry bones and the resurrection of Israel. You've got uh, the prophecies that are there in 36 to 38. And then you have all of that with the, the uh, kingdom temple described in the last eight chapters of the book, chapter 40 to 48. And then that's the end. So you kind of have that sequence, those three groupings that take place. All the warnings and then the warnings to the nations and then the future, the prophecies that take place. And so the whole book starts with probably the strangest chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, when you read it, it's one of those things that when you read it, it helps to have eaten too much pizza or something, uh, overdosed on your, uh, your asthma medicine, <laughs> something of that sort. So I thought we'd look at chapter one and then move on a little bit if we have time at it and, uh, and this kind of explore some things because it's a great chapter to apply some principles as far as one interpretation many applications and see what we can come up with it so if you read the book of ezekiel as far as prophets go he was a uh, of the tribe of levi um, he was about 30 uh, when he starts writing the book which was the official beginning of priesthood that's when they started and um, and he seems to have a special place there's no uh introduction of him we don't know where he came from where he went he the uh, uh, tradition has it that he made some guy mad and he got uh, murdered uh, towards the end of his life because of the prophecies he's made but uh, there's nothing in the book of ezekiel itself but uh he had one spot where he laid on his on the ground for like seven years first one side then the other as an illustration uh, his wife was killed, and God instructed him, your wife is going to die tonight, and tomorrow I don't want you crying. Uh, and, and so there's really some strange things in the book as far as what he as a prophet did in regards to Israel and the nations of the world, and probably the strangest of all the books in regards to prophecy and what God uh, asked him to do. It, most of us would have revolted before we even got started. So... going to work I don't know maybe it isn't going to work <laughs> oh well, look at there all that stuff is on there Jack are you in charge of this too I don't know that Miss <laughs> Krause already left huh Technology. Now it came about in the 30th year, 30th year, probably his 30th year. On the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Chibar among the exiles, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. So visions, when you look at the Bible, uh, I have visions. And uh, usually it's uh, just when I'm sitting in my recliner 
and it's usually of me catching big fish. <laughs> so you can call it imagination, uh, whatever you want, but it's just sort of in my head having experiences of things I'm thinking about possibly having happening. Sometimes my visions come true, most of the times I don't. <laughs> so I don't publish them as any kind of prophecy from God because if I did, I would have been stoned long ago. And, uh, but uh, often prophets have visions from God and uh, they, there were a number of different ones that uh, do and have this experience. And so we don't know exactly how that happens, whether it's in their head, whether they see it out here, whether it's like Star Wars where there's that little thing. Uh, but they have this vision and it's obviously from God. And, uh, and so he saw visions of God, visions of God. On the fifth of the month in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's exile, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chibar. And there the hand of the Lord came upon him. So he has gotten deported. Uh, he was part of the 10,000 that got captured and taken back to Babylon. Uh, along with Daniel, they were about the same age, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, different locations, but he's in Babylon. Uh, some of, them, of the prophets get left. Uh, Jeremiah is the cl most uh, classic. He stays, and uh, in fact, he's at the very bitter end, uh, even after they fled after the second destruction and they went down to Egypt, he went with them. And uh, so you read about the, the, the whole... Uh, history from a different perspective from Jeremiah because he's in the land and Ezekiel's out of the land and uh, Daniel is as well as I looked behold a storm wind was coming from the north a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually and a bright light all around it and so he's having this vision and so he's looking at it watching it and this is what's happening and it's midst something like glowing metal in the midst of the fire so we uh, we sing a song now, worship service, that's based on this chapter. And uh, um, within it, there were figures resembling four living beings. And this was their appearance. They had human form, human form in the sense that uh, they probably meant that they were about the size of you or I. And he sees these individuals. Each of them had four faces uh, and four wings. And so the force face this way, this way, this way, and this way. And they have four wings that would be sort of like watching Star Wars. Strange thing. And the faces, their legs were straight and their feet were like a calf's hoof. Uh, in other words, they had a, a, a hoof, cloven hoof, like a cow, elk, a deer, instead of feet like what we have. And they gleamed like burnished uh, bronze, so they were quite bright. Under their wings, on their, uh, on their four sides, were human hands. So they've got wings, and under their wings they have hands, and uh, more than two. As for the faces and wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. <clears throat> their faces did not turn, so I turned my head like this. Theirs didn't, and that's because they had four of them. And they wouldn't smack each other if they did. So they're sort of locked in, these four faces. Uh, they, uh, they did not turn when they moved. Each went straight forward. So uh, when they moved, they didn't do this thing. They, because they had four faces, uh, they would go this way, and then they would go this way, and then they would go this way. There was no turning around. Uh, so they went in four different directions, and uh, the four faces were straight forward. As for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. 
All four had the face of a lion on the right and the face of a bull on the left, and all four had a face of an eagle. So four faces, human face, one of a bull. Uh, I don't know if that's a cow bull or an elk bull, but uh, a bull <laughs> and an eagle. And so as Ezekiel's looking at these things with these wings and these hands and these faces, and uh, as bright as they were, they were very bright. Uh, I, I'm sure that he was... Um, that was, uh, would have been a unique experience of seeing that. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward wherever the Spirit was about to go. They would go without turning as they went. And so the, the term Spirit here, uh, there, there's some discussion about, you notice that the translators here put that in a little S form. Uh, suggesting that it's probably not the Holy Spirit, uh, the third person of the Trinity, but their own, uh, that they had in the sense of a spirit uh, that was part of them as a person. And so wherever the spirit was about to go, there's no explanation before, after, wherever. That's all there is, the information right there. And so uh, there's the beings and the spirit that's connected with them, and whether that's the spirit of God or their own uh, that's, we can decide as much right now with that information, but there's not much information to go on. So they would go without turning as they went. In the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. And so you have these fires, uh, and uh, I, I don't know if you've ever, we used to have a whole bunch of grandkids over on the 4th of July, that were little and they would get these things you light, these things you wave around in your hand, sparkler. little sparkler dealy whoppers. And so when you got like a dozen grandkids, all the lights are out and they've all got these things. It's really cool seeing they're running around. <laughs> That's kind of what this was like. Uh, these bright lights darting around, uh, maybe big firefly kind of a thing. But uh, burning coals darting back and forth among the living beings. And... Uh, so you can sort of visualize what that would look like. You have these four living beings that are uh, strange, and then you've got these bright lights that are darting everywhere among them, among the living beings. The fire was bright. Lightning was flashing from the fire, and the living beings ran to and fro like bolts of lightning. So these uh, creatures were moving around a lot. There was fire, and there was lightning, and there was these uh, like fireflies darting everywhere in between them. Uh, now, that would be strange, and then it adds to it. Now, as I looked at the living beings, behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living beings for each of the four of them. So each of them had this wheel. Uh, uh, it was spinning like a flying saucer sort of a deal. Uh, there was one for each of the beings. The appearance of the wheels and the workmanship was like sparkling barrel, and all four of them had the same form their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. And so each of the wheels had uh, a wheel inside of a wheel uh, spinning in different directions. Whenever they moved, that is the beings, they moved in any of their four directions without turning as they moved. As for the rims, they were lofty and awesome, and the rims of all four of them were full of eyes. So you see this wheel, a wheel within a wheel, and it's very bright, and it's spinning, 
And on the outside of the rim, the hub, as it were, has lots of eyes uh, looking. Whenever the living beings moved, the wheels moved. Whenever the living beings rose from the earth, the wheels rose also. So, uh, you have these strange beings. Where are they? That verse right there, it says, uh, whenever the living beings rose from the earth. Uh, so he sees this scene, and it's obviously a scene in heaven. Uh, and it, there, And then all of a sudden you see this word earth there. And so it appears to be uh, heaven and earth kind of a thing. And so they're there, and the wheels rose also. So the wheels are connected to these four beings Wherever the Spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction, and the wheels rose close beside them, for the Spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. So when we talk about the Spirit, it's, uh, it says they're the Spirit of the living beings. And so you have this living being, four faces, uh, very bright, uh, probably the size of me, Ted, a little slimmer and better looking, but they have four faces, bull and eagle, uh, a person, and they have... Uh, uh, these wheels that correspond with them, and uh, wherever they move, the wheel moves with them, and the wheel's kind of uh, weird in that there's two wheels spinning one inside of the other, the rim is covered with eyeballs, and uh, the spirit of the living beings is in the wheels, it's like the wheel and the person are together the same, same mind, same will, uh, spirit probably being a word that represents their will, their desire, what they would do. And so they're in the heaven, and then they're also on the earth, Whenever those went, these went, and whenever those stood still, these stood still. That sentence right there uh, will stretch you a little bit, figuring that one out. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close beside them. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. Now over the heads of the living beings, okay, that's that scene, we're done with it. We'll go back and talk about it in a minute. Now over the heads of the living beings, there was something like an expanse like the awesome gleam of crystal spread out over their heads. So above them was this big expanse. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight one toward the other. Each one also had two wings covering its body on the one side and on the other. I, I also heard the sound of their wings like the sound of abundant waters as they went like the voice of the Almighty. So when they flew, their wings were, they, they made a loud noise, uh, abundant waters like a, waterfall or the ocean and like the voice of God uh, the sound of their wings uh, last night I was laying in bed rereading going over this and the train went by I said oh there they are <laughs> sound of tumult like the sound of an army camp whenever they stood still they dropped their wings there came a voice from above the expanse that was over their heads whenever they stood still they dropped their wings now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something, let's see, there was something like resembling a throne like lapis lazuli in appearance. And on that which resembled a throne high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. So above their heads, this big expanse, beautiful, bright, awesome throne. On the throne was someone, the appearance of a man. Again, that probably indicating shape, size, 
Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward I saw something like fire and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. So everything around this throne is very bright, multicolored. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So Ezekiel describes and tells us that this uh, person on the throne, with all this brightness in the description, is the Lord. And so uh, there's, in the book of Daniel, book of Revelation, similar kinds of scenes. And sometimes it's obvious that we're talking about the Father. Other times it's not so obvious uh, as opposed to the Son, uh, that is Jesus. And um, so this is so much like that which is in Daniel and Revelation is probably the Father on the throne that he sees from a distance. The glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Then he said to me, Son of man, stand. Okay, we'll move. Let's back up there. I fell on my face, saw this view, this image of God on the throne and these four living beings. So God's uh, communicating to Ezekiel, he's going to write it into a book for the nation of Israel. And uh, this information, this vision that he has, obviously uh, is not solely for the purpose of confusing us. Uh, so what would the purpose be initially? Just generally speaking, these living beings with their four faces and their four wings and their multitude of hands and their eyeballs and the wheels one inside of another that are incredibly bright, the fire that's darting everywhere, uh, the loud uh, majestic sounds, the vision of God above all of that in this huge expanse and this throne and again the fire that's every place. Uh, what would be the goal, the purpose of God? Get their attention, okay. So these beings that are below God, uh, you see all kinds of beings in Revelation, angels of various titles and purposes and ranks, uh, seraphim and cherubim and, and serving angels. And these dudes are kind of unique in the, the way they're described and their proximity to the throne and that they're a limited number with a unique appearance. So... Uh, was Israel at that point in the habit of listening to God? No, they were in big trouble because they didn't listen to God. And Ezekiel is getting ready to tell them to change, to repent, to obey God, to follow God, to quit serving other gods. And so for 24 chapters, he tells them that uh, if you don't repent and follow God and quit worshiping these other gods, uh, God's going to bring great uh, tribulation and trials into your life, and finally that's what happens. And he begins the whole book with this scene. And uh, so as I read it and thought about it and read the commentaries on it, uh, most agree that he's getting their attention in the sense of God, his power, uh, his majesty, his beauty, and uh, his ultimate uh, control over everything. And uh, he knows what's going on. He controls your life. He makes it good. He makes it bad. 
And the beings would be beings that would be an expression of him and what he does. And so you have the majesty, the uniqueness, uh, God sort of revealing himself as he's above these beings and they are responding to his voice. Um, so if we were to talk about God and his attributes, one of the attributes of God is his uh, omnipresence represented uh, in what way w with the beings? Pardon? Okay, the eyes. Eyes are mentioned repeatedly in the wheel, in the angels, uh, just a multitude of eyes that see and respond to God above all else. Uh, the fire uh, darting here and there, the brightness of the throne, the rainbow, uh, the beings, the wheels, all of it is represented. I mean, it, uh, the word fire is used uh, 11 times. And, and so what's, the, what's with that? Judgment or a power or beauty. If you see pictures of the sun and you think, wow, uh, the t you hear about the temperatures in it. If you're at a campfire and you sort of gaze into the fire, there's nothing that sort of represents this uh, godliness or power or ability to control or destroy as much as fire does. So it's mentioned repeatedly in this chapter. And um, so God is in control. He is all-powerful. He's the one who blesses. He's the one who destroys. And uh, the warning to Israel, and as you read the first 24 chapters, uh, Ezekiel, does he, is he palatable, gracious, kind? Oh, he kind of piles it on. He says, you guys are going to just destroying your own life. And he does it in a variety of different ways to get their attention. You're going to be judged, you're going to be judged, you're going to be judged, and then they are. And uh, the nation is basically destroyed, and then you start a whole new segment. And then the message that goes to the kingdoms of the world, same thing happens, and they're judged. And then you have the scene of the future uh, where God is in control and Israel is restored to the promised land. Um, You ever hear anybody talk about their visions of God? I had an individual one time say that they saw Jesus in their bathroom in the morning while they were shaving. And I, uh, you, you know me, in the sense that uh, I was fairly skeptical of the reporting that I was hearing. And my response was, and you kept shaving. <laughs> See, every uh, reference in the Bible, when someone has a vision of that sort, this is how they end. I fell on my face. And so you talked to Jesus in your bathroom and you kept shaving, suggests to me that that probably was someone masquerading as Jesus, not the real deal, because it didn't produce much fear in you. Um, and so I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Uh, and then there was, this, there was this fear in response to this vision of God and his majesty and grandeur and the fire and all that was going on there. Uh, I, I got nervous just reading it uh, in the sense of, I wonder, you ever have thoughts about what's going to be your first experience in heaven, what you're going to see, what it's going to look like? And uh, I was thinking as I was reading this last night, I'm going to look for those guys a face of a bull, 
uh, face of an eagle, uh, wings and eyes. And it's hard to visualize what that is. I don't know if you've read various artists' conception of this, of the wheels and the beings, but there, there's lots of variations because it's not totally complete as far as understanding. But it's obviously they're different, uh, and it's obviously they're connected to the throne over their heads, and uh, they're sent, and as you study the whole angel uh, theology, angelology, and there's lots and lots of verses. Billy Graham wrote a book on angels, and there's a number of books on angels. One of the things about angels is they are God's servant. They respond to his commissioning. There's uh, Gabriel and uh, Michael, who in the book of Daniel uh, regularly show up, and each time it says they were sent, they were commissioned in response to Daniel's praying. And so angels are the servants of God doing his bidding. And as you study the topic of angels, you discover that we have angels guarding us, protecting us. Hebrews, uh, are they not all the ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? That's us. And then you have the reference that says that little babies, their angels, get they go in the front of the line when they get up there to God's throne. And uh, Jacob's ladder, angels ascending and descending into heaven, and uh, so you have these varieties of scenes in the Bible of angels, but they're always serving God, doing His will, accomplishing His purpose. Uh, uh, Zephaniah, they're patrolling the earth. They're controlling the weather. They're controlling the birds. Uh, uh, they're warring and fighting against the demons of Satan. So there are varieties of roles and appearances. And uh, these dudes here appear to be an extension of God in the sense of a picture of who He is and the attributes of God including his omniscience, uh, his omnipresence, and um, his beauty and his majesty. All of that's described there. And so Ezekiel begins the book with this statement, God's on his throne and he sees and he knows and he controls. And so you do well uh, to respond. And then he launches in uh, to the book. So then he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet that I may speak with you. Uh, that would be a scary to hear that. Let me speak to you, talk to you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the sons of Israel, to a rebellious people who have rebelled against me. And so he's being sent, commissioned here as a man by God. He sees that scene, and then now he hears this voice. Uh, you're going to be doing my will, my work. Um, so JBC exists for a variety of reasons. Number one is Matthew 28, 19, and 20, typically called the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, to obey all I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So our commission given to us by Jesus, last chapter of the book of Matthew, go make disciples. So this is similar as a commissioning. And uh, so he's being sent to the sons of Israel, to rebellious people who rebelled against me. We're being, we've been sent to the whole world, to every nation of the world in one way or another. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. Uh, you, you have heard from me, and so you're going to speak uh, my will, my word to them. And so anybody that's a preacher, a uh, teacher of the Bible, myself, Mike, uh, this becomes um, a statement of commissioning. This is what God's word says. Thus says 
the Lord God. As for them, whether they listen or not, they are a rebellious house. They will know that a prophet has been among them. And so basically saying, Jeremiah or Ezekiel, your job is to speak my words. They may or may not listen. That's not your problem. Uh, your command is to speak, to teach what I give you. And you, son of man, neither fear them nor fear their words. Though thistles and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. <laughs> That's a great description. Uh, in other words, you're going to get some major pushback from these people. And don't worry about it. Don't fear their words. They're going to threaten you and they ultimately uh, probably kill him. Uh, when I do this seminar last week, as every time I do it, there's always those that are uh, want to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. I, I get a little in the church, but not much when I, I speak. But in the seminar, I get a fair amount. Uh, I mean, it's not bad, but it's, um, and so the first, I always introduce it. This year I introduced it with uh, my farming thing. Um, and I basically say, I have a huge advantage over all of you. That is, I grew up on a farm. Farmers are way smarter than the average dude. <laughs> and they understand something that most people don't seem to get. That is, if you plant a bean seed, you get a bean plant. All the time, every time. Uh, farmers know that. doesn't seem like everybody else knows that as well. And when you plant one bean plant, you get one bean, uh, one bean seed, you get one bean plant. Two seeds, you get two plants every time. Beans, beans, corn, corn, one, one, two, two, law of the harvest. Farmers get that. And I never, ever, when we planted corn, ever, look what I did. I didn't make the corn grow. I didn't make the corn plant. I knew that. Anybody, I mean, even people who don't believe in God don't claim to have made that plant. And so they know that happens. And so... I plowed the ground, dished the ground, planted the seed, watered the seed, the corn grew. I didn't do that. Corn uh, ear came on. I didn't do that. But I clearly understood my part, God's part, wasn't rocket science, and it was always the same. I planted, Apollos watered, 1 Corinthians 3, God caused the growth. Not rocket science, and that's the way it works. So we always have this fussing from people about, well... You know, we just need to trust God. Let Jesus build his church. And so if, as a farmer, say, I think I'm going to trust God to plant my seed. Will he do it? No. If I say, I think I'll just trust God to plow the ground, dish the ground, water the seed. Will he do it? No. Um, so I have my responsibility, and when I do mine, then God does his. Not rocket science. So I'm an ex-farmer, I get it. So as a pastor, I'm going to do my part and trust God to do his part. And straightforward stuff. But there seems to be quite a bit of pe a few people who say, hey, th this just is a little bit too uh, goal-setting and setting goals and, and uh, starting programs and uh, all that systems that uh, go into place and counting the number of people that pray and keeping track of the amount of time you pray. I mean, that just seems a little over-controlling. So how many seeds does a farmer plant? As many as he wants crop from. 
If he wants a lot, he plants a lot. If he doesn't want much, he doesn't do much. And so does he have any idea how many acres he farms? Sure he does. Does he have any idea how many seeds he plants? Sure he does. Does he have any idea what he wants to get at the end? Sure he does. And so I'm an ex-farmer. I understand that. It's not rocket science. So counting is good. It depends on whether you want to be a profitable farmer or a broke farmer. So you have systems and you count and you're diligent and you learn from people who do well and you live your Christian life in the same way or you pastor a church in the same way. You figure out what you want and you understand one equals one, two equals two. Beans produce beans, corn produce corn. It's pretty straightforward. God creates laws to make that happen. So minor pushback resistance uh, from people uh, that aren't farmers that are stupid. <laughs> I can say that because none of them are here. <laughs> so God says to Ezekiel, you're going to get some pushback. Uh, don't fear their words. They're going to really throw a fit. Neither fear their words nor be dismayed at their presence, for they are a rebellious house. But you shall speak my words to them, whether they listen or not. So here, uh, uh, Ezekiel, it's your job, your responsibility. I'm giving you the words to speak. You speak them faithfully. Now, you son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth. Eat what I am giving you. So it's a picture of the word of God being given to Ezekiel, and it's given to him uh, as something he eats, takes inside of him. And uh, Joshua, or, yeah, Joshua 1.8 Gene, uh, can you quote that? Yes, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, you got it? No? Ted? No. Huh? Joshua 1 8. So don't let the word of God depart from your mouth. And so it's a picture of taking it in. And so it's similar. Then I looked and behold, a hand was extended to me and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back written on it were lamentations, mourning and woe. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So open my mouth and he fed me this scroll. That would be an experience. And so Joshua 1.8, sort of a reminder that this book of the law will not depart from your mouth. Uh, you shall take it in on a regular basis. And uh, so he does that here as God gives him this particular word. He said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And so if you're going to teach, uh, you want to take in the word of God on a regular basis, this book of the law should not depart from your mouth. Med uh, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, so it becomes that which comes out of you. And so that's what Ezekiel did. God fed him his word in the form of a scroll, and it was sweet as honey in his mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel, speak with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech. In other words, this is your own people. You're not going to Africa where they talk a different language. Uh, but to the house of Israel, nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand, but I have sent you to them who should listen to you, who should listen to you. 
Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, your forehead as hard as their foreheads, meaning uh, not easily discouraged, depressed, burnt out. Pastors experience this uh, depression, burnout. It's an occupational hazard. And uh, so sometimes when I get involved in helping, counseling uh, them, I'd say, you know, what you need to do is to develop a forehead as hard as flint. It's like, what? Just saying what God did to Ezekiel. Like emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them or be dismayed. Be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Um, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all my words, which I will speak to you. Listen closely. Take in my words, all of them. Go to the exiles of the sons of your people. Speak to them and tell them whether they listen or not. Thus says the Lord God. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard a great rumbling sound behind me. Blessed be the glory of the Lord in his place. And I heard the sound of the wings of the living beings touching one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, even a great rumbling sound. Uh, loud, majestic sound. So the Spirit lifted me up, took me away, and I went embittered in the rage of my spirit, and the hand of the Lord was strong on me. It's probably talking about his attitude towards Israel. Uh, then I came to the exiles who lived beside the river Chibar at Tel Aviv, and I sat there seven days where they were living, causing a consternation. <laughs> he just sat there, didn't say anything. And it's like, what are you doing? And at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. A watchman to the house of Israel. And uh, whether, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, I place an obstacle before him, he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin. His righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. I don't know what that means. And uh, it's written to Ezekiel, not written to me, but there is a sense of responsibility involved for irresponsible living as a servant of God. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you have delivered yourself. The hand of the Lord was on me there and he said to me, get up, go, go to the plain and there I will speak to you. So I got up, went out to the plain. Behold, the glory of the Lord was standing there like the glory which I saw by the river Chebar and I fell on my face. I fell on my face. The Spirit then entered me and made me stand on my feet. He spoke with me and said, Go, shut yourself up in your house. As for you, son of man, they will put ropes on you, bind you with them so that you cannot go out among them. Moreover, I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be mute and cannot be a man who rebukes them, for they are a rebellious house. At that point, I would have retired. And when I speak to you, I will open your mouth and you will say to them, Thus says the Lord. He who hears, let him hear. He who refuses, let him refuse, for they are a rebellious house. So that's how the book of Ezekiel starts. He gets his commissioning as his super scene in heaven and uh, falls on his face several times in the presence of God. And uh, application, I've been sent, you've been sent, not quite as dramatic, 
as that, but the fact that we've been commissioned and sent, we are ambassadors for God, as though God were entreating, making an appeal through us. Uh, the Spirit of God lives in us. We've been commissioned, you are my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Uh, go make disciples of all the nations of the world. Um, you are my ambassador. You are entreating through me. As Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Um, bear fruit, bear more fruit, bear much fruit. Um, so and there's a sense of responsibility uh, that we've been given as Ezekiel. Do what you're supposed to do. They may or may not listen, but your uh, command is to be obedient to me. So often we get discouraged because people don't come when we invite them to church. They don't respond when we talk to them about the gospel. But uh, we are to do what God has called us to do faithfully, given the opportunity, the open doors, and uh, leave the results to him. But we're going to plant the seeds. So plant seeds. One seed, two seeds, five seeds, ten seeds, thousand seeds. The more you plant, the more crop you're going to get. And uh, trust God and uh, read that chapter occasionally and see if you can figure out what it means. Let's uh, close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We do pray that you'll motivate us, stir us, make us uh, excited, enthused about being your ambassadors. Lord, looking for opportunities, open doors that you provide, trusting you for the power, the wisdom, and the words, and uh, Lord, that you would work in our neighbors and family and people that you bring into our life. I just pray that w you would thrust us into the harvest that is white every day, compel us, motivate us, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.